Hey everyone, and welcome back to our eleventh episode. Uh, I'm here with my, you know, the one and only Sonamama. How you doing? Good, thanks, Yash. And uh, yeah, welcome back, everybody. Lovely to be chatting to you again today. And uh, just uh, you know, by the time this recording goes out, it'll be 2021. So a very happy New Year to everybody. I hope everybody has a great 2021. You know, been a difficult year for the whole world in 2020, but at least we got football. You know? Yeah, thank and God for that. That may sound flippant to people who've lost loved ones and lost their livelihoods. I don't mean it to. But actually, in all seriousness, uh, I'm so thankful that professional sport goes on and we have a distraction from all the distressing stuff happening in the world. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, I think sports has just been such an important part of people's lives through this pandemic, which has like, kept their you know morale high or just something to look forward to. So we're, you know, pretty happy that football is back. Unfortunately, a few games got postponed this game week. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we definitely missed out on some football. Um, but a lot of games have gone on since uh, we last spoke. So have you watched any in particular? You know, I've, uh, I've caught uh, quite a few of the Premier League. Uh, just had them on in the background, not necessarily watching them all, but dipping in and out. And a little bit of Bundesliga before they took uh, a two-week break. And then I've been watching Coventry in the championship as well. So my usual kind of mix of interests within soccer. How about you? Um, Mostly just the Premier League. Um, Just watching, uh, you know, just the most exciting game that's been going on during the time. Um, Any you've enjoyed in particular? Leeds, you know, yeah, I just yeah, yeah. I look at Leeds every time, and they're just so much fun to watch. What a fun team, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of I've heard like stick, like Leeds getting stick for the football they play when they lose, but they win, they're just praised yeah, and yeah. lauded, you know. And I think we just, um, I think we should just be happy that we're gonna have Leeds football for you know hopefully a few years. I think they're by some distance the most interesting team in the Premier League. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, just for the precisely the reasons you say. And they play such a unique style. You know, it's so dynamic and so attacking. And then they have that uh, man-marking style whereby each of the Leeds players is assigned an opposition player and it doesn't matter what part of the field they're on. You'll see them following them around when they lose possession. And it's very unique. It's a very interesting style. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, Bielsa's accumulated uh, a group of players that are perfectly in tune with his ideas, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And, and uh, who, just out of curiosity, who stands out in that team for you? Who do you, who do you think are the key individuals? I think Calvin Phillips is probably yeah, one of my favorite I players. I agree. I really like him. Um, you know, I think he's a defensive midfielder that just runs everywhere. And, uh, you know, even runs aggressively into, uh, you know, the opposition's half. Um, he has a good passing ability and shooting ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's really capable to do things all over the field, I feel. Yeah, I like uh, Phillips a lot. I love his range of passing. And uh, I think in he and he and Declan Rice, England, have two really good holding midfield players that they can bring into that. One yeah. or the other into the national team, both excellent players. And I really like his partner in midfield as well, the Polish player, Matthias Klitsch. Yeah, I yeah, he, yeah. I think he's at the center of most of the good stuff they do. And um, 
you know, I think he flies under the radar a little bit, but in terms of a creative, um, a creative player in midfield, I think, you know, you have to be thinking of him alongside some of the better players in the league, De Bruyne, Fernandez, etc., in terms of his ability to create from midfield in that Leeds team. Mm-hmm. And then the other player we've talked about a little bit about the past, uh, uh, which again is Jack Harrison. I yeah. really like an interesting English player out on the left. Really cool story as well, you know, yeah. that we've alluded to in the past, whereby he was in an, an academy, I want to say the Manchester City Academy in his mid-teens, mm-hmm. and then his mother researched scholarship opportunities in the United States. He went to a private boarding high school in the United States on a soccer scholarship, subsequently went to um, either New York Red Bulls or New York City, one of those two teams, and then Leeds yeah. picked him up there. So just a really very interesting and unique career trajectory for a young English footballer. And I think he's a very, very interesting player. Unfortunately, in terms of his aspirations for the national team, that wide attacking berth is a very crowded field for England right now. So I'm not sure that he has quite enough to push on to that level, but certainly a player I enjoy watching. Yeah, no, he scored another really good goal this week. You know, um, this game week was kind of just... We had very few goals. The only game that we really had goals was, again, the Leeds-West Brom game. Uh, everywhere else is either 1-0, 1-0, or 0-0. So, you know, again, thank God for Leeds. Mm. Um, but, you know, since we've spoken, um, Chelsea have kind of gone from being in top position, you know, mm. looking like they're competing to losing to Everton, losing to Wolves. yeah. yeah. You know, winning against West Ham, then losing to Arsenal and drawing to Aston Villa. What are your What are your thoughts of that? Uh, they ha- they've had a difficult spell. There's no doubt about that. Uh, mm-hmm. They certainly could do with a couple of good results. I think to get them back on track. Yeah. Now I believe we're going to do a bit of a review of the top six and predictions mm-hmm. for them. So I don't yeah. know whether you want to save the Chelsea discussion for then or. No, hundred percent. I think now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, great. Um, what other hey, game? One of- Sorry, one other thing that, uh, sorry, apologies for interrupting, that I thought was quite interesting was that, um, to change the subject a little bit, was that, you know, on our last episode, we did our World 11s, and then uh, then FIFA released their official World 11, and, you know, we were pretty spot on. Um, Just to recap for the listeners, I think they had Alisson in goal, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Sergio Ramos, Van Dijk, and Alfonso Davis at the back. Then they had Kimmich, De Bruyne, and Thiago Alcantara in midfield. And then Messi, Lewandowski, and Ronaldo up front. So um, mm-hmm. seven of your 11 were included in theirs. Eight of my 11 were included in theirs. Uh, they picked two players that neither of us picked, which were Thiago Alcantara and Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. And they left out one player that both of us picked, and that was Sadio Mane. Yeah. I think... You could probably summarize the difference between their team and ours is that they went for Cristiano and we went for Sadio Mane. So yeah. I think it was kind of interesting that we got it. We we were in broad agreement with the voters in FIFA's uh, FIFA's uh, uh, you know selection group. Yeah. It was quite big. I think it was journalists, uh, international team captains, international managers, and uh, uh, etc. Uh, so they went for Cristiano. We went for Sadio. That was the main difference, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just 
it's surprising that even at this age, the impact that Ronaldo has like yeah. on and off the field, you know? Still a great player, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we just have to sometimes just stop and appreciate, you know, the other thousands of players that are playing apart from Messi and Ronaldo, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's remarkable what Cristiano's doing. Uh, a little bit like uh, Ibrahimovic, how well he's taking care of his body yeah. and how he's able to perform at the very highest level and uh, just, uh, you know, be such an impact player even in his mid to late 30s. They're two players I think that we should really enjoy while we still have them, Cristiano 100%. Rolando and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you know. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, but how's the Bundesliga? You said you've been watching a bit. Before. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit chaotic, uh, like uh, all of the leagues in the compressed um, uh, schedules that, uh, you know, uh, we're seeing with, with the season starting late and having to finish early. Um, but, uh, you know, as usual, I think Bayern look like they're likely to just emerge from the pack, the usual pack with RB Leipzig. And uh, Bayer Leverkusen have been outstanding. Probably my favorite team in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Remarkable team. You know, they lost, um, they lost Kai Havertz uh, in the summer and they lost Julian Brandt the previous summer, who were their yeah. best players. But they've kind of hit the ground running. And they have another prodigy, um, uh, Florian Wirtz, a 17-year-old, who plays in that same attacking slot that Havertz and Brandt played in. (laughs) And uh, they just keep uncovering these gems. And until the last game, which they lost, not surprisingly, to like a 93rd-minute Lewandowski goal. I mean, what else? Yeah. they were actually top of the Bundesliga going into the Christmas break. So I, I really enjoyed them as usual. You know, Peter Bosch, their um, Dutch coach, plays that really high-octane front foot style, which I love, full of skill in every position. But Bayern, I think, will be too strong for everybody else. Uh, Borussia yeah. Dortmund, coaching change in the week before Christmas. Um, they had some uh, atrocious results and they lost, um, lost uh, patience with... Uh, Lucien Favre, their manager. Uh-huh. Um, they just have such a talented young group, and I think yeah. felt uh, understandably that he wasn't getting enough out of them after two and a half years in the position. Uh, so they've gone um, for one of his assistants. I think his name is Edin Tursic as a solution till the end of the season. And at that point, they'll. Uh, uh, it's widely. Um, thought that they'll go after Marco Rosa, the uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach coach, as the next man to try and take them forward and get the most out of this really, really talented group of young players that they have. So, you know, it's an interesting question to ask you, is that when a team, you know, fires their manager in the middle of the season, clearly things are not going as planned. Yeah. So at that point in time, do you just think of the season as just null and void like you know let's just make sure we get through the season and you know we're going to think the best or are still our team still trying to make something off of it i think i think uh, in in their case it was the opposite of that i think if they'd been cruising along in second or third they would have just stuck with uh, father till the end of the season and then gone made an aggressive approach for rose but i think um with some of the results, the concern is that even fourth place would be in jeopardy, which would be a disaster for a club with Borussia Mönchengladbach's ambitions in terms of, you know, it's, def- it's definitely a develop and sell model there. Mm-hmm. And the next 
person to probably hit the exit lounge for them will be Sancho next summer. Uh, but, you know, I think they would want one or two more years out of Erling Haaland, uh, for example, who's already, you know, one of the most potent players on the planet. Yeah. Um, um, to persuade, uh, you know, their, their, their fantastic young players that they managed to accumulate to stay for even two, three years before they go to bigger and richer clubs becomes a, a challenge. You know, part of the model is that they, these young players get to play in the Champions League every season as well. You know, yeah. Sancho, if he'd stayed at Manchester City or Haaland, if he'd gone to Manchester United, there's, even though they're exceptional talents, there's no guarantee that they would have got the opportunity either in the league or the Champions League to showcase their, their prodigious talents. And the selling point at, uh, at Dortmund is very much come here and you'll play at the yeah. top of the German League and in the Champions League season after season. So results were going in a direction where, where the concern was um, that even fourth place might be touch and go. And that's why they pulled the trigger. So I think it's, very, it's the opposite of a, just a kind of consolidation feeling. It's the, the coaching change comes when, uh, you know, when of some of the club's most basic goals uh, are in jeopardy. And you, you see that in the Premier League with teams in the bottom three. You know, West Bromwich Albion um, uh, letting go of Slavin Bilic and bringing in Sam Allardyce is an example yeah. of that. Yeah. You know, feel that it's worth one last roll of the dice to, dice to stay in the league, I think, yeah. Yeah, rather than just accepting uh, the cruising along that was going on, on with Bilic, you know. Yeah, no, that's so true. I think Sam Allardyce is also just such a master of making sure that teams stay um, afloat. Yeah. You know, and stay in Absolutely. the Premier League. And Absolutely. yeah, West Brom have done well to bring the master in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah and, and if, you, if, you look at, uh, if you look at what David Moyes and Roy Hodgson and people like this bring in their ability to just organize a team and turn them from uh, relegation fighters into comfortably mid-table, you know, Allardyce has very much got a similar kind of track record He's the master of organizing a squad, making them defensively solid and uh, getting the most out of them in a yeah. manner that, that Moyes and Hodgson, who aren't the, the sexiest managers, for want of a better word, uh, just do so well. You know, he's very much of that ilk, I would think. And yeah. I, I think the success that West Ham and Crystal Palace are enjoying probably makes an appointment like Allardyce more attractive. Because uh, West Brom would look at that and just say, these guys are really, really just getting the most out of these squads by, by tactical organization, discipline, and the, the experience that they bring of playing in this league. You know, a lot of people are very skeptical about the Moyes appointment, but he's just, he's just really, really excelled, I think, since he took over as West Ham coach. And West Bromwich Albion, even though they don't have as talented a squad as West Ham, We'll hope that Sam Allardyce can get more out of that squad with the same virtues of tactical discipline, organization, and experience. That's my thoughts, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, now kind of thinking about West Ham, I feel like, you know, West Ham have really developed for sure in the last yeah. year. Um, this year, you know, they're. I know that they've lost like Michael Antonio, but they're still getting results. You yeah. know, they're still yeah, very yeah, yeah. defensively strong. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and so go so is Crystal Palace. Yeah. You know, so both really interesting. But okay, so we're we've come to the end of the year. Today's thirty first December. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to kind of review our you know beginning of the year predictions of what the Premier League is going to be. Um, so I think we I don't think we had you know imagined that the Premier League table is going to be the way it is. Um, so let's hear from you, someone. We're like, well, let's talk about number six and five. Uh, yeah. What yeah, were your yes. number six and five? So I had um, Arsenal in six and Wolves in fifth. So I was way off the mark with both of these. Um, okay. And, uh, and uh, you know, Arsenal, I think, finished the end of last season very well, um, won the FA Cup, and then started promisingly uh, beating Liverpool on penalty kicks in the charity shield. And it just felt like, there was, uh, you know, continuous upward trajectory with their young manager and their squad. And it hasn't been quite as straightforward as that for them. Um, I still think um, they're a much better team than their current position in the table indicates. And I don't think they're a million miles away from pushing on into the top half of the table. But it's taken a while, I think, for Arteta to find a group of players that he trusts in to execute his ideas. The last couple of games have obviously indicated that he might be turning the corner with them, but I would certainly say that they haven't progressed in the manner that I thought they might um, at the beginning of the season. And then Wolves, I expected uh, of the chasing pack to be able to exploit uh, the advantage of not having uh, a regular Thursday night commitment in the Europa League. But they also have taken time to uh, adapt to some changes. You know, Diego Jota moved on to Liverpool and had quite an impact there until uh, he got injured about a month ago. And uh, then they lost Johnny Otto at left wing back and they lost Matt, Matt Doherty at right wing back. And um, while I still think, you know, they'll be comfortably top half this season, um, those changes made a bigger impact than I think any of us guessed they would. Yeah. And it's taking them time now, I think, to bed in um, a new consistent stronging, strongest starting at 11. And of course, it hasn't been helped by an injury to their most potent goal scorer, Raul Jimenez. So they've essentially lost Diogo and Raul Jimenez um, now. So they've underperformed for that reason. And then I failed to predict, I think, how good Tottenham would be. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you had them, I think, fifth or sixth, if my memory serves me correctly. Yeah. Fifth, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, so you were a little bit closer to the mark than I was on this. Uh, you know, Mourinho has done a great job in optimizing um, that squad. Uh, I, I had doubts, really, about the suitability of his appointment at the time because he was so different from Prochettino. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I was wrong to underestimate his managerial skills, which are still considerable despite the fact that things fell off. Um, uh, united towards the end of his tenure there. Now, one thing that's being talked about is that if you look at every Mourinho appointment, season two is really peak Jose. Yeah. So I don't know whether we'll see a similar trend with Tottenham, whereby they have a terrific season this year and then, you know, um, 
his ability to get the most out of that group tails off or uh, whether it'll be different this time. Mm-hmm. But if this is the typical peak Jose season two type phenomenon, you know, they can expect to continue playing well, I think, for the second half of the season, as they have uh, for the first half of the season. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my picks were uh, Arsenal at six and Tottenham at five. Yeah. Um, and I think I kind of agree with you. I think with Arsenal, they were looking really good when the the leagues restarted. Um, and I put them at number six, um, thinking that you know they're still they're still going to do well um, compared to the other teams. And I think um, I've just I don't think I've been more bored watching any team than I've been watching Arsenal. To be very very honest with you, and it's kind of just a it's like a sickening feeling. Like just it, I I don't know what to say. It's just not a good feeling watching them. You know, I speak to like my childhood, you know, I speak to my childhood friends and I don't even say, hey, are you watching football? I say, I mean, are you watching Arsenal? I say, are you watching football? And they say, look, like when Arsenal is doing so bad, we just don't know what to do. Like we're not watching football, period, you know. Um, And I think it's kind of Arsenal have definitely turned the tide in the last two games, you know, getting two important wins against Chelsea and Brighton. Mm -hmm. Mm, but I think they lack a lot of push and desire to actually be a good team. Mm. And I just think they lack leadership and drive in that mm. team. You know, you have players like Tierney that seem to really have that like want to do well and pushing, you know, but you need 11 players on the field doing that. And I just don't mm. think Willian, for instance, has that same motivation. So, yeah. I, um, I expect, I, I think top 10 this season is going to be a difficult mm. fight. Mm. And so for that reason, I think I'm going to put Arsenal outside my top 10 for this season. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you're probably yeah. right. Yeah. I, 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 maybe if the last two games are anything to go by, he may now opt for some of the younger players and just allow them to develop. And if he's got a comfortable gap between him and the bottom three, which is eight points. I think, first of all, his job may be safe till the end of the season, which is important. I think the last two results have gone a long way uh, to kind of end the chatter about him being possibly replaced. Um, And then, um, secondly, you know, with the likes of Emil Rowe-Smith coming back in and Gabriel Martinelli and both playing really well, he may decide that if... Um, Champions League is out of the question this year, which it, I, I, I'd say, you know, even the most diehard Arsenal fan will acknowledge that top four is not is not even a, a realistic goal for them. Yeah. Maybe it's a good season to let some of these kids develop, you know, with an eye to the future. Yeah. Which no, would represent sure. progress if that were to happen, if Emil wrote Smith and Martinelli and Bakayo Saka and some of their other young talents there really got a chance to come in uh, they would then have to accept, of course, that Willian was a big error, much like the contract they gave to Meza Ozil was. Yeah. And possibly even the big contract they gave to Aubameyang this season as well. Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, that would you represent progress yeah. for them. The pr- another problem with Arsenal is they don't have a single, you know, creative midfielder that they're willing to play. Mm. You know, yeah. and there's yeah. just no creativity in that team. Unfortunately, yeah, they have El Neni and Xhaka 
uh, seem to be the two that they go for, uh, you know, in that midfield double pivot. And I agree, there's not really, neither of them, uh, you know, have a consistent defense splitting pass in them. But I think playing the new two number 10s is probably where he'll look, uh, look to find the creativity. And like I say, in the last two games that they won, it was the youngster, Rose Smith, who I've heard a lot of good things about. I didn't actually see either of the games, so it's difficult for me to give an authentic opinion on him, but I've heard a lot of good things about him. And then Martinelli, and that seemed to work in terms of the results, right? Yeah, no, Martinelli coming in has definitely helped them. Uh, you know, so they've been playing well. So this it's it's definitely good news. Um, and you know, hopefully Arsenal kind of you know step it up, um, and kind of hold themselves accountable to better standards. I feel. Um, but the other team, Tottenham, I think again, like I think I was kind of raving about them in the middle, and I just you know two recent losses to Leicester and Liverpool kind of show you that they're not really at the level that the other teams are necessarily. You know, I think Vardy, I mean, I think Kane and Son are just unbelievable. But the way this um, season is kind of being played out, it's just so um, unpredictable about what's really going to happen. And I think Tottenham are kind of in a situation where I think it's kind of a flip of the coin where I think they can be in the top four or they could easily be out of the top four mm. for me this year. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, don't, I, I would tend to agree with you. I do not think they're one of the best four teams in the country. Yeah. I think that in my, in my mind, the best four teams of the country, in the country remain the four that you and I picked at the beginning of the season. That hasn't changed for me. Mm-hmm. So I think, so for, I, I think yeah. fifth for me is... Is probably uh, or fifth or sixth. I think it'll be between them and Leicester for fifth and sixth. Yeah. Leicester are a team that deserve an honourable mention because we both did them a grave disservice by not talking about them as top six candidates. No, hundred percent. And you know, you and I were jokingly um, chatting, I think a week or two ago, about now when we talk about the big six, have Leicester replaced Arsenal? I don't think they have, to be honest. No, yeah, no. I was thinking about it too. Revenue or support. Um, I think Arsenal will be right back up there uh, challenging in that part of the league within a year or two, I really do, at the most. But Leicester, you know, uh, they've won the league more recently than Arsenal. They were narrowly missed out on the Champions League last year. And they're playing exceptionally well again this year, somewhat inconsistently, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think they deserve, uh, you know, we they, we should acknowledge the fact that it we both got it wrong by not talking about them as top six candidates at the beginning of the season. No, 100%. I feel like, just like Ronaldo and Messi, we like to just, you know, <laughs> keep it simple with the big six being the top six, yeah. you know? But if you notice teams this year, like Everton, Leicester, Southampton, they're playing good football. They are. They are. Aston Villa. I would definitely say Leicester are the pick of that group. 100%. You know? Yeah, no, 100%. I think Brendan Rodgers, I think, will get another crack at a really big job. Like he did at Liverpool, I don't think. Um, and you know, Leicester fans will say, "Come on, we won the league in 2016, and we're challenging for top four every year. This is a big job." And they're right. You know, they're right. I think yeah. Leicester can be um, can be fairly designated a big job now. But I kind of think he'll be in the conversation, maybe at City and Arsenal in the future. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and um, I think he'll deserve another crack. Maybe United. Although United, I think, would think twice about 
appointing a former Liverpool uh, manager, that's for sure. Yeah. But I think, I think he's earned another crack at a really big job. He's a terrific coach, I think. No, 100%. Was, he was at Celtic before this, right? Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. Liverpool and Celtic were his last two jobs. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So your number four pick, um, <laughs> Sonomama, was Chelsea and mine yeah. was United. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? So Chelsea remain my number four pick. Uh, mm-hmm. I think um, I think they're an exceptionally talented group of individuals. I love watching them play. Uh, yeah. There's talent all over the field. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, what great hopes I have for Kai Havertz. Uh, but he's he's not by the only one. You know, from the point of view of being an England fan as well. While I I love to see the progress that Mason Mount's making. Reese James looks like a great attacking right back. You know, Abraham's got a bit, bit of game time and shown us that he's a, a useful player, although I think he's fallen way down the pecking order in terms of England centre-forwards. Uh, so Pulisic, of course, is a USA fan. And they've got talent all over the field. You know, my question remains unchanged. I'll, I, I sound like a stuck record to you Chelsea fans, but I don't know if Frank Lampard's the guy to take them to the next level. I still yeah. don't. And... Um, you know, I think uh, I think a little bit of a story has emerged now about what happened in 2000, the summer of 2019. And it seems from fairly credible sources that Max Allegri was approached before Lampard and uh, Allegri turned down the job because he felt he wouldn't have complete control over transfer policy. And at that point, the job was given to Lampard. Now, I think if Max Allegri knew about the pandemic and that 18 months later he still wouldn't have a job, he might think again about that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think Lampard jumped the gun a little bit. He had one decent season at Derby. And he would say that when Chelsea comes along, you don't say no. And, that, and he's probably right. But I compare him to, you know, somebody again. He's never going to be able to shake this comparison because they were compared their entire careers. Steven Gerrard, you know, has chosen to go up to Scotland. Uh, out of the limelight a little bit, mm-hmm. even though Glasgow's a fiercely partisan city. And uh, he's in his third season there now, and he's seeing really tangible results with Rangers. Um, I think they're 18 points clear at the top of the Scottish Premier League this year. And, um, you know, there was a danger that Celtic would be the first team in the history of Scottish football to win the league 10 years in a row. And it looks like Rangers might just buck that trend. And he's got them into the Last 32 of the Europa League again, which for a club of Rangers size and resources, um, you know, is quite an achievement. So I feel like Gerard's gone off uh, and decided to learn management over years and years before having a crack at a really big job. And he will get a big job one day. It may be Liverpool in 2024, but it's no guarantee uh, that it will be Liverpool in 2024. They may look at other options. But if Liverpool don't offer him a big job, somebody will. And I think Lampard has come to one of the biggest jobs in world football at Chelsea a little bit undercooked. And I think if there's anything that keeps Lampard up at night, it might be the fact that Max Allegri still doesn't have a job. If I look at Chelsea's modern identity as a football club, uh, they've won the league under uh, Ancelotti and Conte. Um, Di Matteo took them to the Champions League Sarri took them to the Europa League it's almost becoming part of their DNA to have success with Italian managers 
They also had Gianluca Vialli earlier, and um, and um, of course, who's the guy that took Chelsea uh, Leicester to the league? Um, getting on. Oh yeah, uh, God, how am I forgetting? His Ranieri, name? Claudio Ranieri. Ranieri. Yeah. So, no, the whole association between them and having massive success with Italian coaches really points for me to the fact that Abramovich should be having a conversation with Max Allegri right now. <laughs> uh, and if I think about Allegri and his, abil- his tactical flexibility and his ability in a uniquely Italian way to fashion a tactical style to get the best out of a given group of players and to think what he could do with Havertz and Mount and Kante and Jorginho and Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner and all these tremendously talented players at Chelsea, for me, it just, I just salivate at that sort. And, yeah. You know, my big question remains with Chelsea, is Lampard the guy to take them to the next level? And I still can't resoundingly say that he is. Yeah, you know, when I watch Chelsea, I think the two things that I kind of try to remember is like the fortress Chelsea was in terms of just a team that's just not known to concede goals, you know, and I think that's something that's just something we've struggled with in the last year and a half. We've just conceded a lot of goals and bringing Mendy in, Chilwell, Thiago Silva kind of solved that problem and it was looking good until very recently and I don't want to jump the gun and say, okay, look, you know, last five games in the Premier League, we've only got four points. Definitely a big concern. Um, I think one of my biggest concerns is that just our creativity just seems to be coming out of the wing. And we're just not playing any other form of football. Nobody's, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think there is a little bit of a mitigating circumstance there in that the guy who might have given you that creativity, Havertz, I think getting COVID in November, it seems like I'm hearing he still hasn't made a full recovery. He still yeah. looks he still looks very kind of fatigued when he's on the field. And people respond in different ways to this kind of infection, you know, and yeah. maybe he just needs a little bit more time. Because you have one of the best creative potentials in the world right now in midfield, you know. And I think a little bit yeah. of patience with him and that will get resolved. No, 100%. Yeah, that's why I don't. I kind of don't want to jump the gun with any of these players. Uh, Werner, uh, Havertz, or even Lampard. I feel, like, I feel like Lampard has finally got the team that I think... You know, for example, when I was... I was looking at the Arsenal-Chelsea game and I was just sitting there, just, you know, in my head laughing, thinking, man, our team is so much better than Arsenal's. I look at United right now and I see where they are on the table and how they've been getting clean sheets. And I look at and I go, our defense is way better than United's defense right now, you know. (laughs) And I just don't see how we're getting the results we are compared to them. You know, they coming out of Wolves getting a 1-0 win when we lost 2-1 is kind of, um, you know, it's kind of astonishing. Uh, to me, to be very honest, where United came out with a clean sheet from there, and we struggled to. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
So for that reason, I think as well, I think these players and managers going to take time. So I'm also going to agree with you and say that Chelsea is probably going to get results, but in an inconsistent manner. manner. So I'm going to put them in fourth as well. Okay. Um, then who's your number three? Uh, okay. So um, can I talk about the top three together? Cause it's yeah, 100%. Like, 100%. Because it's, yeah. like it's an integrated discussion for me. 100%. At the beginning of the season, I predicted that Manchester City would finish first, Manchester United would finish second, and Liverpool would finish third. And uh, part of my reason for that was that I didn't think that Liverpool could sustain a season in the high 90s for a third consecutive season, just much like City couldn't last year. Yeah. I thought there would be an inevitable drop-off in yeah. their performance. And I thought the two teams, based on the second half of last season and the quality that they had, that were best positioned to exploit that drop-off in Liverpool's uh, playing standard were City and United. Now, what a couple of things remain the same for me. One is that Liverpool's standard has undoubtedly dropped since they won the league. Mm -hmm. And, um, and um, that's been compounded by just a horrendous injury situation. There's no other way to describe it. Just an unimaginable injury crisis there. What I didn't quite foresee is that nobody would step up and put in a really big run of games and fill the vacuum that, yeah. that would exist from their drop-off in standards. So their standard has dropped off. They've got injuries. They're extremely inconsistent right now. But I kind of thought City and United might step into that void. I think there's mitigating circumstances for why they couldn't. I think they both, both of their seasons went into August. They didn't have a proper preseason and they both looked very sluggish when the season started. Yeah. I still think that the best two teams in England are Liverpool and Manchester City. Mm -hmm. And I still think City are capable of a big run of wins and a climb up the table uh, to be challenging at the top. Mm -hmm. United now are finally showing some of the form they showed in the second half of the season. And mm -hmm. I think they're also capable of putting together a run of games and putting in a challenge for the title. And I think it's going to be one of those seasons where 85 will comfortably win you the league. Yeah, no, I totally 82 agree. 82 or 83 might even be enough. Uh, so for that reason, nothing's really changed for me. I still think Liverpool are not the team that they were for the last two seasons. Mm -hmm. And very understandably, you know, when you lose the players they've lost. Okay? Yeah. And that they won't have till the end of this season. Um, and I still think the team most likely to take the title away from them, and people might be surprised from this, are Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Yeah. And I, and I also think now that we'll see a United more like the team that were arguably the best team in England after the restart at the end of last season. So I'm going to change my predictions now. Uh, um, I think I had United at second. I'm downgrading them to third. Mm -hmm. I had City to win the league. I'm downgrading them to second. And I think Liverpool will narrowly win the league. I think, I think despite the fall off, I think they're the best team in England. And I think City are the, are the team that are likely to give them the biggest challenge. But I think Liverpool might have enough to get a, a, across the line by 
one point by goal difference. Who knows? It's going to be a tight title. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one and two is kind of just so hard to predict. I was looking at the table right now, and I think City are seven points behind Liverpool with two two games games in hand. Yeah. Um, And just look at Liverpool's injury crisis. Like, it's tough to look at, you know, because (laughs) you feel for them. You know, you feel for not having the best defender in the world. You know, not having his partner. So you're having two... Or the first backup. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you have Fabinho and... um, Yesterday it was Nathaniel Phillips. Phillips, exactly. You know, and it's just how Liverpool is managing to stay on top of them. The next injury actually puts Jordan Henderson in central defense, I think. That's how bad it is. It's crazy, and the thing is, Liverpool is Liverpool is keeping a clean sheet against Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Liverpool is winning games, and it's so unbelievable to see. It's amazing. Like, um, and I think I'm kind of going to agree with you. I think you're suddenly seeing the form that United had before um, the end of last season, <coughs> and they're getting results. So for that reason, I think I'm going to put them a third. Yeah, and I think just. Um, I have this little faith that I think City are just a very, you know, a team that has a lot of depth. Yeah. And with I think they're quite capable of going out there and winning 10 games. I really do. Exactly. You know, you could. Anybody who does that wins the league this year. 100%. If you're going and you're going on a run for winning 10 games this year, and then I think, and very honestly, I think City are capable of that. I do too. You know, they've struggled in the form of having a striker play for them constantly this year. Um, and that's nothing compared to what Liverpool have gone through, um, you know. But, but no I, excuses. hundred percent. No excuses, you know. I mean, these big clubs, um, they accumulate all of the best young talent in their academies. Yeah. I actually like it when they're forced to use them by injuries. So yeah. even as a Liverpool fan, I'm not making any excuses, you know. If you're going to have uh, the best central defenders uh, in your academy, like Nathaniel Phillips and Reese Williams, you can't complain when you've got to play them. You know, yeah. Just you know, and I'm sure Klopp won't make excuses either. I think get on with it. You know, you have huge academies, you have a lot of talent. So what? You know, you've lost Virgil Van Dijk, you've lost Joe Gomez, you've lost Joel Matip for a month. Let's see what these kids are made of. I really yeah. enjoy seeing them getting a chance. Um, no. Yeah. And you know, and again, I'm going to stuck like be, uh, be you sound like a, a stuck record again, but uh, no Liverpool play, player has given me more pleasure this year than 19-year-old Curtis Jones. I think he's an unbelievable talent in the making. And if it's injuries again that have allowed him a run in the team at such a young age, I'm I'm grateful that we've seen what what he's capable of and I think I think he's going to go all the way to the top of the game. I really do. I love him. A great young player. Yeah, no, 100%. I think youngsters getting some time is just really good. And you get to see them actually playing competitive football instead of just like the Carlin Cup or, <laughs> yeah. you know, an early round FA Cup game. To sell. So to see them play a Premier League game is is great, you know. And they grow. They grow a lot given these opportunities. Um, so another one we had predicted was our relegation three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to discuss that. And I think... You know, we had both very similar relegations where yeah, we said absolutely. Fulham, West Brom, and Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah. 
And Aston Villa has completely blown yeah, yeah, our expectations yeah, yeah, yeah. and are sitting in fifth right now. Um, we've is, got, there fun, yeah. is there a more fun player to watch in the league than Jack Grealish? I don't think there is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, 100%. I think <laughs> that Aston Villa team is just... They've just made the right transfers. Yeah. And they got a good goalkeeper. They got yeah. Matty Cash. Yeah. You know, they got uh, Bertrand Traore. They got Ollie Watkins. Ross Barkley. They, Ross Barkley. You he was know, playing superbly until he got injured, you know. Exactly. So... Aston Villa have done well. Um, Sheffield, did yeah. you imagine this? On no, I didn't. I didn't. And I think they're a much better team than their results suggest. But I think they will go down. Um, I just think, uh, you know, they've had one of those seasons where just nothing goes wrong for you. Even games where they've created good chances, none of them have gone in and the opposition have gone to the other end and scored. And it seems like they're destined to go down this year. And I have a great deal of sympathy for them because their points total is way less than the quality of that team. They did a bad team overnight. And um, they may need to dip down into the championship for one year, but I'm sure we'll see them back in the Premier League before long. Let's hope. So do you think the the bottom three is going to stay the same? Yeah, my predictions are just basically United for Villa, I think. I, I, I don't see... Even with uh, Allardyce coming in, I, don't, I, don't, I just think that there's not insufficient quality in that West Bromwich Albion squad to stay up. And this is one of the things Bilic was complaining about all summer, and it may be one of the reasons he's lost his job. Because um, I think under other circumstances, they might just, given that he bought them up so convincingly last year, they might uh, think it's better to just keep him in place because he's a proven manager in terms of finishing at the top of the championship. And continuing that whole yo-yo existence that they live. Yeah. But I think a lot of it was not just their performances on the field, um, because he actually got fired after a pretty good result where he drew away at City. Um, but I, th- I think it's, it's the fact that he was complaining about the lack of investment in the squad. Uh, they didn't really bring anybody in. Uh, you know, They brought in Benarama, but he'd been on there, there at loan last season anyway, so it didn't really feel like a new signing. And yeah. Village has been saying consistently this group of players just isn't good enough to stay in the Premier League. And I think that as much as their performance on the field was the reason they fired him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think unless we see them really go out going out and spending big in January, I just don't think there's enough quality for them to stay stay up. What about you? Yeah, I just there's nothing exciting about their football. Yeah, you yeah. know, West Brom, Fulham, yeah. um unfortunately Sheffield. So I just there's not much um, there. I just, um, you know, we'll just have to see which team can just stay most organized, get some important results. And, yeah, I think if you have 30 points this year, I think you're pretty, you know, comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, okay. So, so looking a little further yeah. afield, uh, any thoughts on uh, potential Champions League winner this year? Uh, I, I'm going to have to go with Bayern. Yeah, you know? yeah I agree. Uh, I think, yeah, best team in Europe. Just, and I think uh, one out of Liverpool or City might push them all the way, you know. Exactly, they, yeah. They remain, I think they, they remain the best of the rest. You know, the thing is, no matter what, how teams are doing in their leagues, you know, somehow the Champions League just brings a different side, and especially over two legs, anything can happen. So although Barcelona or Real Madrid might not be having their season of the year, they're still very capable. So I think, 
I think the Champions League is still going to be undoubtedly, you know, a great tournament this year. I agree. And Barcelona might go deep. I have a feeling. Yeah. So, I'm. I. I think if I had to put my money on something, I would say Bayern. But I'm actually very excited to see Chelsea play in the Champions yeah. League, and I hope, I hope we make it past Atletico and go in the final eight. But that's yeah. a tough draw. That's a tough draw. I think it's. It might just be the pick of the round of 16, to be honest. Um, yeah. Atletico are playing really well this year. Exactly. Yeah. But the one thing that might serve Chelsea well is that they've actually become a little bit more expansive and um, proactive as a team. And everybody's been a little bit surprised and talking about how out of character that is for Diego Simeone's side. But that may actually give Chelsea some space to play. Yeah. And hit them on the counter and play a little bit themselves. So no, for sure. Yeah. May, may suit them somewhat. Yeah, no, with the organization that Atletico have and our like creation right now, I think with the quality we were playing at right now, I don't think we would have been able to break down their um, you know, how structured they are. But I think with the way they're becoming more expansive, we might have more space to do things. Yeah. Um so that might be, you know, hopefully. Um but yeah, so that was like a good review that we did for. I enjoyed you know, that. Yeah. Enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, any any uh, anything you? on your wish list that you want to see football wise in 2021? Um, I just yeah, I think if I have to, if I have one of my my wish list would be to see a little better football being played in the EPL. I think okay. for the lower leagues. Yeah, yeah. I just I just want two teams both trying to win. Mm-hmm. Um and I think one of my resolutions for this year is going to be watching a little more of the Bundesliga. I think whenever I watch it I'm very happy with it. Yeah. yeah. So I think I'm going to watch a little more about the Bundesliga. What about you? Um I would really love to see an improvement in the implementation of video assisted review in the Premier League. I think it's done exceptionally well in Germany and Italy, and it's done consistently, and it can be done well. I think the Premier League is so inconsistent in, you know, the remit is relatively narrow, okay? It's review all penalties and potential penalties and uh, look at all offsides and then review all potential yellow and red card um, decisions. But within... That remit, I think there's just massive inconsistency in the Premier League, uh, particularly on how fouls are interpreted in the penalty area and particularly on yellow and red cards. As a Liverpool fan, I still cannot believe that video-assisted review um, allowed Jordan Pickford to stay on the field after that tackle on Virgil van Dijk that ended his season. Yeah, um, That almost certainly... um, robbed us of two points that day uh, and you know this is going to be a tight league as you and I just said yeah and um just it's it's implemented so inconsistently in the premier league i was a big proponent of video assisted review and i review i remain that the game is played at such high stakes at the highest level that when we have a tool like video to uh, review crucial points in the game, it's madness not to use it. Yeah, I just think the Premier League do it so badly. Yeah, inconsistency is one of the biggest problems. You know, you'll see a penalty for certain something be yeah. given today, and the very next game it's not given. Correct. Um, and so inconsistency is a big, big problem, and I totally agree. I think if VAR can be so much better implemented in our in the Premier League for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then, so what's uh, what's one of your resolutions? Do you have any for next year? Uh, yeah, football related? You know, um, yeah, I, you know, I've really uh, I, I, a resolution. You know, I've really enjoyed watching my beloved Coventry City in the championship. So I'm going to make more effort uh, to um, to watch, I think, almost all their games. Uh, uh, and uh, that's going to be my resolution. Watch watch more Coventry games. Nice. Okay. Um, any other games you're looking forward to through the next... Yes, uh, I am. And yeah. I, you know, I'm in response uh, to your resolution to watch more Bundesliga, I'm going to give you two outstanding fixtures to... Uh, okay. as the, the Bundesliga resumes this weekend after a two-week break. Um, on Saturday, we have uh, the form team of the first half of the season um, and my favorite German team, Bayer Leverkusen, going away to a very good Eintracht Frankfurt team. So okay. that's one to watch. There's always a lot of goals when Leverkusen play. Um, they play a very high defensive line. They play a very high-octane style. So they score and they concede in almost every game. So that should be a fun game to watch. And then on Sunday, um, we see uh, Dortmund with their new interim manager, Eden Tersic, and all that wonderful young talent, uh, you know, um, Erling Haaland, Jaden Sancho, Jude Bellingham, et cetera, et cetera, host uh, a very good Wolfsburg team. Mm-hmm. So there's two good German teams, uh, games for, that I would recommend this weekend. Any games you're looking forward to? Yeah, I think day after, we got a big game with uh, Tottenham playing Leeds. So anything leads, I'm always up for. Yeah, um, yeah but you good. know, especially seeing them challenge, you know, against big teams. Yeah. So leads, uh, Tottenham, and then tomorrow we have United Aston Villa, which yeah. I think again, okay. you know, big game. And then on Sunday, uh, we have City Chelsea. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Some yeah. really good games coming up. And then Monday we have Liverpool Southampton. So four days of you know four big games. I think is yeah, going to yeah. be great. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I think every day I'm going to have like a really good game to watch. So I'm excited. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you getting ready to light it up in Brooklyn to see in the new year? Yeah. You know, just going to be hanging out with a few friends, uh, just keeping it very low key and, uh, it's, it's cold over here. So we're just going to be staying in and then, yeah, yeah, excited about the new year. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, we're going to be uh, here at home entertaining some friends, and then I think we'll be meeting up with fa- family later in the evening as well. So it'll be uh, low key compared to yours, but nevertheless, something to look forward to. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But okay, great, um, everyone. Thank you so much yeah. for tuning into our eleventh episode and also a review of this season. Yeah, and thanks for listening to us throughout two thousand twenty. We'll endeavor to bring you some slightly interesting uh, content in 2021. A very happy new year to you, Yush, and to all our listeners. Thank you. Yeah. Happy new year to everyone and stay safe and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.